Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 40. Genesis chapter 40, if you like titles, the title of this sermon is Forget Me Not. Forget Me Not. Genesis chapter 40. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in a confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them and he took care of them and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker the king of Egypt, who had been confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are you, why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we have had a dream and There was no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine there were three branches, and it was budding. Its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into the Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to the former custom when you were his cup bearer. Only... Keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. When a chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. In the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Lord, we thank you 
that you are our Redeemer and that you are a friend of sinners. Lord, I confess I'm a sinner and I need you. We all need you. We are all sinners. All have sinned and gone astray. There was no one that is righteous. No, not even one. We need you as our Savior. We need you as our righteousness. And now we need your Spirit to work through your Word to convict us, to clean us, and to conform us into the image of Christ. Through your Word, by the power of the Spirit, we ask that you do this. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever forgotten something? Ever? Probably. Have you ever forgotten a person? Have you ever forgotten a person's name? That can be a little bit embarrassing. Decades ago, I was in a terrible car accident. I was unconscious for many days. I woke up and there was this woman, and as I remember, she had black or brown hair and she was holding my hand. And she said, I'm so glad that you were alive and that you pulled through your car accident. I had no idea who she was. But she was holding my hand. And I said, okay, you know, thank you. And then she said, do you remember me? And I said, no, who are you? She said, when they were putting the chest tubes in, it was painful, and I held your hand the whole entire time, the whole procedure, and I comforted you. Do you remember me? I said, I'm so sorry, ma'am. I have no idea who you are. To this day, I don't know her name. I can't even remember her face. But she was there for me and held my hand the entire time. And my words to her were, I don't remember you. (laughs) That was embarrassing for me, but then I've thought throughout the years that would have been hard for her. Have you ever forgotten somebody like that? Or if you had somebody tell you, I have forgotten or I don't remember you? It can be difficult both ways. However, God does not forget. I can forget your names, your children's name. When I first came to Pilgrim, one family said, Tom, I hope you can remember all the names of my kids. And I said, I'm just going to be honest with you. I can never remember all the names of your kids. It won't happen. I will try. I even get my kids confused, and there's just two. (laughs) I can't remember that many things or that many details. And at times, I forget people's names and faces and their acts of kindness. But God never does. God doesn't forget. Man forgets. This passage ends in verse 23. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. But God does not forget. People may forget you, but God doesn't forget, and so you can be faithful. I believe that is the the main theme of this passage this morning. People can forget us, and people will forget you, but God will never, ever forget you, so be faithful. It's not you be faithful and then God will remember. Rather, it's the opposite. God will remember you. He will never forget you. Therefore, based upon that, continue to be faithful. 
That's the primary theme and message and point this morning. God will never, ever forget you. Ever. People can forgive you, can forget you. Parents might, children might, aunts and uncles, friends might, pastors might, aunts and uncles might forget you. God will never, believer, God will never, ever forget you. Ever. And so you can trust him and be faithful. Now, we're going to break this down into two basic subpoints, And the first one is, though people may forget you, the Lord will not forget about you. And then we'll look at the second one, and that is, based upon that, be faithful. So first, though people can forget about you, the Lord never forgets you, ever. And this, I think, is the primary textual theme of this passage. It's the main point, not the only point, but the main point that is being taught here. And I want us to understand that. I I desire, and I think it's what the Bible teaches in different places, that hopefully when the congregation leaves church after they've heard this sermon, they understand the passage a little bit better. So they can go back to it and read it on their own and can study it on their own and will have a little bit more support to be able to understand what God is saying in the text. So let me just show you this in the passage that is that the primary point, the main point is that God doesn't forget. So first, as I said, you can see verse 23, it says that the cupbearer, this man that Joseph interpreted his dream, it says that he forgot him. Joseph had said, please mention me, but the cupbearer forgot him. And often when a passage in the Old Testament narrative ends, not always, but often if it has a point to stress, the point will be made at the end of the passage, like it's made here. That's what it's emphasizing. Secondly, there's also a type of what's called a chiasm, or maybe you can think of as lazy pyramid kind of laying down. And if you look at your notes on the back, you can kind of see that chiasm or lazy type of, of pyramid. And that is that you can have these different textual units that are somewhat parallel. How it opens corresponds to how it ends. And then there's a, a some concern that's expressed by Joseph. And that's parallel to the end. But then right in the middle of it is verses 14 and 15. And this is where Joseph has a request. And his request is only keep me in mind and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh. And we'll come back to it later. But when he says, please do me a kindness, that word kindness is, guess what word in Hebrew? Chesed. The word for covenant loyal love, which is important. So what I'm saying is you have in English and many languages what's called in uh, literature a chiasm. It's like A, A1, B, B1, and then maybe right in the center of that is C. And that's what also what this can be about. And it's emphasizing a point, and the point is verses 14 and 15. 
If I'm confusing you by saying chiasm, then I'll say it this way. The Hebrew text, by its structure, is highlighting verses 14 and 15, where Joseph is saying, please remember me. Remember me, okay? I'm doing your favor. Remember me. And then when the passage ends, it ends in verse 23 with this friend of Joseph, what? Forgetting. Have you ever pleaded with somebody? Just remember this. Please remember to do this for me. And then they forget. This is what's happening. Except Joseph is basically in a dungeon. (laughs) So it's a serious request. Also here, Joseph gives this interpretation of these dreams. And the dreams is about both of these friends of Joseph getting out of prison. One doesn't go so well, but the other goes so well. But they both are at least released from confinement. That's what Joseph wants. He also wants to be released from confinement. And this passage is is illustrating that there are two men that have this dream, similar dreams, even similar content. They both get released. That's what Joseph is asking for but by loving kindness. And then even if you look toward the end of the passage, the passage emphasizes in verse 22, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. So this passage is is illustrating primarily that Joseph is saying, please remember to do this. The man doesn't remember to do it. However, God had a plan for both of these friends of Joseph And what God said would happen, happened exactly as Joseph had said. So you have this passage where God is sovereign. Whatever God says is going to happen, it's going to happen. Here you have Joseph, and he says, please remember me, don't forget me. And at least for two and a half years, his friend forgets him. So you have God is absolutely sovereign. He's good over all things. God never forgets. But people forget. And God doesn't automatically make a person remember. He may, he can, certainly, but that's not how God always operates. So then we see here this passage that, especially verses 14 and 15 and 23, is emphasizing men forget, people forget, humans forget, they're fallen and they're finite. Even Though God is sovereign, and what he said is going to happen, but God and his providence and his control has ordained that at times bad things happen. Even in a practical, mundane kind, maybe mundane kind of sense, as a friend that you showed kindness to, they forget. Is that under God's sovereignty? When a person forgets about you and fails you? And that can hurt because they forgot. And I think that we'll see, however, when you go forward into chapter 41, that God had a plan and God does not forget. And you can look at 41 verse 14, that Joseph is brought out of prison. And then ultimately, as we will read and study later on in chapter 41, he's exalted to being second in command of Egypt. So though he was forgotten by man, 
for two and a half years. He was not forgotten by God, and God had a divine purpose and role for Joseph. Also, and we're talking about people may forget, but God doesn't forget. And this passage is mainly teaching that idea, especially together with chapter 41, but verses 14 and 15 and 23 of chapter 40. But also, then, as we've mentioned, and you can look at your notes, God is in control of of all things. And though I have mentioned that, this passage again, and really all the way back in Genesis 37 and all the way to Genesis 50, will be teaching that God is sovereign over all things. He's in complete control. Even when it doesn't look well, even when it looks well, God is always working and moving all things according to his own will. One commentator wrote this, quote, Even in prison, he, that is Joseph, is confident of God's sovereignty and providence. And I think that's a correct interpretation. It might be implicit, but it's there and all the way back even earlier in Genesis 37, 38, 39. But especially here, there's this type of bold contentedness that Joseph has in his predicament that even though, and we'll talk about this, he does want to get out of jail. He's not uh, despairing. He's not despondent. He's not paralyzed. He even talks about the the power of God. God is able to give the interpretation. Joseph still has a large view of God and that God is in control of all things. And this is even what the text would do explicitly from now on all the way to Genesis chapter 50. Let me show you this in the text, 40 verse 8. Do not interpretations belong to God? God knows all things. God is able. But then if we go forward, look at Genesis 41, verse 16. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not in me. I I can't do it. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. But God can do it. God is able. Verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28. And as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The he is is God. Look at verse 32. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. He had two dreams. And Genesis 40, and then dreams here too, uh, two dreams again. And this explicit reference that God's going to do it. God will bring it about. So whether it's implicitly in Genesis 40 or more explicitly in Genesis 41, you have the teaching that in fact God's in control over all things. Joseph was forsaken by his family, and it wasn't just that they forsook him, they plotted against him to actually kill him. Then they thought better, why not make a profit from Joseph and just traffic him? And so they sold him as a slave. And then Potiphar's wife, who could be, it seems, is actually also over this dungeon. Potiphar's wife then makes these passes these temptations toward Joseph, he resists them, and he gets in trouble for resisting. (laughs) 
and he gets lied about, and he gets thrown into the dungeon. But then Genesis 40 and 41, the whole time, are saying, and going all the way back to Joseph's dream, which also we'll talk about, is that God is still in control. People can't forget. People can fail you. People can even do bad things to you. On purpose, and sometimes not even on purpose. Have you ever done something bad to somebody, but actually you, you weren't necessarily purposefully trying to be evil to them, but it kind of just happened? That's also what's happening to Joseph. But the whole time, what's being painted by, by different brushstrokes of the Holy Spirit is men forget, men fail, people sin, it's, it's, it's bad, but God never forgets, ever, Joseph. God wasn't, I, told you, I forgot, I forgot that I put Joseph in the dungeon. Sorry, buddy, I'm back. That can happen to us. That doesn't happen to God. Now, as we said, then, third, and we're still under this, this point, this main heading, that people forget, but the Lord will not forget about you. And a third thing we can say about this point, and though we have said it, let's make it clear, bad things happen even when God is in control. Bad things happen even when God is in control. You can see in verse 2, uh, start in verse 1 of Genesis 41, Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. And then 2 through following gives the interpretation of the dreams. And then in verse 9, this is of chapter 41, the cupbearer remembers about Joseph, about Joseph, verse 12, now a Hebrew youth, and he mentions to Pharaoh what Joseph did in interpreting the dream. And so verse 14, they call Joseph up from the prison. But for two and a half years, Joseph was in prison then for doing the right thing for over two and a half years. Three years, four years, nobody knows for certain. So here is this young man who did the right thing who didn't deserve to be thrown into a pit, into a pit that, that was attempted murder, and then he was sold in, into slavery. All that was wrong. He becomes a slave of Potiphar. He does well. He gets elevated. Then this woman tries to tempt him over and over and over again. He resists that. He's a godly man. He's a godly person. Watch the result of that. He gets a badge. He, he, he gets a medal. He, he writes a book, makes a blog how to resist temptation, he gets thrown into a dungeon. He does pretty good there. He gets responsibility. So in an act of compassion, he ministers to his two friends, interprets these dreams for them, tells one of them, remember me. Remember, I would also like to get out of this prison and I didn't do anything wrong. So please tell Pharaoh that. Oh yeah, sure. I've got your back. We're best buddies. Within two and a half years, he forgot about it. Have you ever forgotten about a close friend for two and a half years? I, I think you probably have. I, I have. Maybe you're a, a better friend than I am. <laughs> bad things can happen. Sometimes we do bad things. 
and there's the Bible doesn't give an excuse for the cupbearer or for Potiphar's wife or for Judah and Reuben and all their brothers of Joseph. It doesn't give them an excuse. The Bible doesn't say God is sovereign and because it was the plan of God for Jesus to die on the cross, then all the Romans and Jews and Judas are forgiven. That's not how the theology of the word works out. People are responsible for their sin even when they're under the providence of God. God doesn't squash people's free agency and responsibility and and liability. God is absolutely sovereign, has a sovereign story to tell, and even in that story, people are free, but in God's sovereignty. And in that sovereignty, people do bad things. Even with all that we see today, only God is truly, truly free. A fourth thing to say about people forget, but God never forgets you. A fourth thing to say about this. God does not forget, and his loving plan is still on go. It's still on the green light. God doesn't forget, and his plan to love Joseph is still full blaze ahead. Genesis chapter 39, verse 21 says, But the Lord, that is Yahweh, Yahweh was with Joseph. And remember, Genesis 39, it starts with verse 2 saying, The Lord was with Joseph. Then when 39 begins to wrap up, it says again in verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. This word kindness is again the Hebrew word chesed, which is that loving kindness, that loyal love, that that covenantal love that the Lord is having on Joseph. Joseph then is, because he did the right thing, is lied about by Potiphar's wife, is thrown into this dungeon. And it's interesting, but more than that, it's a true connection with the linguistic data, with, with the Hebrew text, and we can see it even in our English text. Verse 14, Joseph then, when he's talking to the cupbearer, he gives interpretation. He says only, do this one thing for me, please. Keep it in your noggin. Keep it in your head that when it goes well with you, see, he's trusting God. He gave the interpretation. This is what God said is going to happen. Now, when all this does happen, so he's trusting God, please do this chesed. Do this act of loyal love and kindness. Bring me up to Pharaoh. And then what happens? He forgets. So, Genesis 39 is saying, basically, God has committed to Joseph. Joseph, I have loved you. I am going to love you. I am going to be with you always, and I'm going to show you love. Now you're going to go to to the dungeon. (laughs) What? And then he's in a dungeon, and he starts ministering, and he does well, and things are going well, and he gets responsibilities, and don't know the details, but somehow he's organizing the prison, so the prison is running well. And then his friends have these dreams. They're kind of weird. Joseph says, God can give me the interpretation. Just remember, show me that that love. And he fails. 
God hasn't failed. God hasn't failed to love Joseph with the chesed. Who has failed with the chesed? With the chesed. Who failed? The cupbearer failed. God's plan is still on go. It's still going full blast forward. Man forgets and man can forget to love. I can forget to love. But God doesn't forget ever to love you. Psalm 117 is the shortest psalm in the Bible, in the book of Psalms. It's the shortest, I believe. And it says, praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him. I I like that English word. Laud him. (laughs) Laud him, all peoples. Why? For his loving kindness is great toward us. The Hebrew is, his loving kindness has prevailed over us. For his chesed. For his chesed, this tender mercy, this loyal love, this covenantal love, this incredible, amazing grace and love and power has conquered my heart to save me, to sanctify me, to pursue me. Now, remember, please, that again, Israel is reading this. They've been delivered from Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai. They sinned greatly. They worshipped false idols and engaged in all kinds of immorality. There was some judgment that was given. But God is gracious. They wander around in the wilderness. They, they complain about food. They finally get to the promised land, but they don't want to go in. They don't believe God. They don't trust God. Only Joshua and Caleb believe God. Even Moses takes things into his own hands and gets upset. Even he's not allowed to go into the promised land. And somewhere during this time, they receive the book of Genesis. And they're reading about Joseph, which talks about man forgets, but God doesn't forget. God keeps his love. Even when man forgets to keep the promise of loving, God keeps his promise to love others. God does not forget. God remembers. Therefore, Israel, keep going on. Trust me, keep believing the promises, keep pressing forward in God's promises. And I think that that's the message for us too, is we worship God over the the truth of who he is. God doesn't forget you. He, He will never forget his promises to you. I can forget, parents can forget, spouses can forget, children can forget, bosses can forget, employees can forget. Pastors can forget. Everybody can forget. As we said, aunts and uncles, everybody. But one person does not forget, and that's God. That's where hope is. We place our hope in God and the Lord because he will always remember you. Always. Even he will remember you by name. Listen to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. Tremendous verses here. That I love. Behold, these, uh, Isaiah 49, verse 12. Behold, these will come from afar, and lo, these will come from the north and from the west, and these from the land of 
seeing them, shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me. And the Lord has forgotten me. That's what Israel says. Then verse 15. Here's God's answer. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God says, I will not forget you. And I've ascribed you in the palms of my hands. You know, he's made an indelible mark in, in his mind and his heart that you are his, that you belong to him and he belongs to you. And he's demonstrated that by dying on the cross for those he loves. God will never forget you, believer. Children of God, he will never, ever forget you. People will forget. God will never forget you. Now, because that is true, then the second point out of this is, since this is true, pursue faithfulness. Again, it's not because we're so faithful, God remembers me. No. If God remembering me is based upon my faithfulness, then I'm lost. I'm, I have no hope. Because my faithfulness is up and down. It's imperfect. But God, rather, it's by grace and love and mercy that he remembers you. He remembers the saved sinner and, and loves them and cares for them. Out of that, then, we seek to be faithful. What does this mean? What does this look like? Number one, this involves baking on his promised word. So here's what we're saying is that God is faithful. Therefore, he will never forget us. Therefore, let us seek to be faithful. God's committed to never forget you. He will always be faithful to remember you. Out of that, let's be faithful to him. What does that look like? Well, this involves baking on his promised word. What do I mean? I think if I was thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery by my family and then I did the right thing and I'm thrown into a dungeon, I think I'd be really angry. I think I'd become Rambo. I I think I'd go on full blast vengeance mode. That's what I would do. That's not what Joseph does. Well, see, he, it's not that he doesn't remember. Like, even reading this passage, he's saying, look, I did the right thing. Joseph isn't like, I was, no, nothing bad happened to me. I'm only going to be positive. Power of positive confession. That's not what Joseph does. Joseph is, some bad things went down and I was mistreated. But throughout the whole passage, there's always this, this hope and God. There's always this pressing Forward. There is this, God is able, God can do it, can do it, God is with me. My question is, why? Why? What is he, he hoping in? He can't p- pull out his little, I was going to say, 
iPod. He can't pull out his cell phone and, and listen to a podcast. Is he getting postcards from his family? Joseph, we miss you. Like his brothers, I really miss you. He's not getting those. I, I think mainly he has this. Genesis chapter 37. Joseph had a dream. What was this dream? Verse 7, we were binding... Genesis 37, verse 7. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. And then verse 9, where even his parents, in a certain sense, bowed down to him. That's the word that Joseph had. Joseph would have had the word that he would have heard from Jacob and from Abraham uh, and from Isaac. But Joseph didn't have the Pentateuch. Joseph didn't have the book of Genesis, right? (laughs) With him. (laughs) It hadn't been written yet. So Joseph had a little bit of revelation from God, either from his relatives, from his ancestors, from his father and grandfather and great-grandfather, or this dream, this revelation that God had given to him, that at one point in the future, that his family would give a, a, a type of submission to him. That's all he had, and that hadn't happened yet. So then what is he doing? He's trusting God. He's banking his hope on that little bit of God's word that he has. In a dark dungeon where people go to die or wait to die, he's hoping in this little bit of revelation that he has from God. He's banking on the word of God that he had received. And I think that's how he gets through this, is that he's hanging on to what God said. In the future, one day, your family is going to bow down to you. They're going to give you some type of submission to some type of authority that you're suddenly going to have. Sounds crazy. So crazy, his brothers wanted to throw him into a pit. And his parents were like, what? (laughs) That's absurd. But yet he held on to it. And it seems that's what got him through these difficult times. So then the question is, what promise from God do you hold on to? Do you know promises of God's word? I don't want to be mean to people, so I'll be mean to me. If I make a promise, even a promise to my kids, to my wife, I'm often apologizing because at times... I'll forget to keep that promise. It's not even that I'm saying I don't want to do that promise. I'll, I'll just forget the promise I made. So, rather than hanging on to what promises do we hang on to? God's promises to his word. One of the promises that I hang on to a lot is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And I've quoted it to some of you. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. 
So any good thing you need to do, God promises that he'll give you every ounce of grace you need for every single good thing that you need to do. There will be, and not just an equal measure, but there will be an abundance for whatever you need to do. And God's able to do that. Whatever it might be. And so that's a promise that I bank on. What promises are you banking on? Do you have a promise from God's word that you hope in? It's good to take several. And I've mentioned to you before, and some may say, and I understand, that that's using that promise out of context. But when I was, it sounds silly to me to, to this day, but when I was afraid to pass semi-trucks, I mean, I, I was really afraid to pass semi-trucks. My heart would go... Long story. I, I'm not afraid to pass semi-trucks now. But during that time, I would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then in my head, I would think, oh, is that out of context? Can I quote that verse? I can, because right now I need to be content with where God has me in this situation, and he's with me, and he can give me the strength to do it. It's, it's Christ. It, it's his power, his strength. He can do it through me. And that got me through this, that time. It was hard. I couldn't have done it if I didn't have God's word. What promises do you have that you quote to yourself? I'm not saying we don't make promises. We need to make promises. We need to keep our promises. We need to be men and women of honor and commitment and truth. But ultimately, not only are we finite, we're fallen. We're redeemed but fallen people and we're going to fail. But God never fails. And so we can bank on his promise, his word. That's pursuing faithfulness. Second, this also involves showing compassion. If we want to be faithful, since God never forgets, then we can be faithful to show compassion. We don't have to look for compassion because God's going to give us his compassion. Therefore, that frees us up to have compassion on others. You can look at verse 6 of chapter 40. When Joseph came to them in the morning... He observed them, and behold, they were dejected. And the word dejected is this word that basically means like a storm that was raging, and the winds blowing, and the seas are being tossed and turned everywhere. And that's this big, perfect storm wave, and the boat's going down the wave, and it's about to capsize. That's the idea of this Hebrew word, dejected, even how it's used, I think, two other times in the Old Testament. It's inside, they was... There was this tumultuous storm that's raging. And they're like, what's going on? Are we going to die? It's terrible. And so they're really, really sad. Joseph could have said, what in the world? Be men. You think you had a bad day. When's the last time you were tossed into a pit? This is the second time I've been tossed into a pit. But instead, what does he say? Why, verse 7, why are your faces so sad? He's showing compassion. And I think this is because he's banking, he's hoping on God's word, and he knows the God, and he knows God's chesed, he knows God's loving kindness, and he's looking elsewhere. Kind of how Moses wasn't looking at the riches of Egypt, but at, at the city of God, at God himself. Here I think you have the same thing with Joseph is that he's looking elsewhere. He's looking at what God has done already in his life and delivering him from the pit. 
in what God has promised. And that frees them up to have faith, to have works. It's one thing, in other words, to have and show compassion when things are going well. When things are going well and I have an abundance, I can be really good at showing compassion at times. But when things aren't going well and I don't have an abundance, am I as compassionate? Remember, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, there, 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 there were these Christians that gave abundantly out of their what? Poverty. Can we love that way? Can we show compassion that way? Can we give out of our poverty when we're not doing well, either financially or in our situation? Are we still able to show real, true compassion and involvement in other people's lives because we are banking, we're hoping in God, in Christ. God has our past and he has our future and our present in his hands. I think that's what God has been saying to Joseph. That's what this text is saying to us. And that's what Joseph is demonstrating in his own life to Israel and to us. Further, thinking about this, if you look back at the text at verse 8, that is, I'm talking about showing compassion, is verse 8, he says, do not interpretations belong to God. This is significant because Egypt had a whole theology of, of dreams. Dreams were very important to them and there, were, there was a God, I've forgotten the God's name, a, a God that could would give dreams and interpret dreams and dreams were very important and very powerful in the religion of Egypt. And so Joseph is saying, no, Yahweh, my God, is the God that's actually able to interpret the dream. And God is able to do that through me. So Joseph then is in this text because he knows God, because he trusts God. We can see that in verse 14, only when it goes well with you. When God answers this dream, when it comes about just as I've said, as God has said, that is, this text is illustrating that Joseph knows the power of God and he knows the compassion of God. Because of that, even when Joseph is in a difficult, dire situation, situation he helps out. He shows compassion. He notices these men aren't doing well. He's not just like, they should be sad. <laughs> They're in prison with me. But I've had it worse than you. He, he's reaching out to show love to them. Why? He knows the power of God. He knows the compassion of God. And God will remember. And God has said, Joseph, I'm going to love you. And here's what's going to happen to you. Also, so we said walk in faithfulness. What does this mean? You, you invest in not the human bank, but certainly be wise of that, but God's word. That's where you place your hope, in God's word. From that, then, you show compassion. But that means, then, third, stepping out in faith. Stepping out in faith. It's not just that Joseph says, hey, how, how are you guys doing? What's, you look kind of sad. Well, we had these dreams, and we can't interpret them, but they were really scary, and they're kind of similar. And Joseph, who is, right, the, the dreamer, he, he's not like, these dirty Egyptians, 
they probably did something bad and just walks off. Rather, he takes a step of faith and he says, you know what? My God is able to interpret the dream. Tell it to me and then I will interpret it for you. What would have happened if you just said, tell me the dream and then they give the dream and he goes, I have no idea. Those are just strange dreams, man. You guys had a, a little, you had too much fruit punch. That's just bizarre. That's not what happens. But rather he takes a step of faith. God is, God, God gave me dreams and so far, Though I should be dead, I'm alive. I believe God's in control. Tell me the dreams. He interprets the dream. There is this type of risk that that he is taking. It's 2 Corinthians 5. Faith walks by... We walk by faith, not by sight. And I think you have this type of Hebrews 11 faith with Joseph where he's, he's looking at the truth that he knows about Yahweh, what he's been taught what God has told him directly and what he's seen already in his life. Joseph gets out of his comfort zone. Joseph steps out. He's already in a dungeon. But in a dungeon, he takes another risk of faith. I mean, these this cupbearer and the, and the chief baker could get out to Pharaoh and say, this guy was a creep. But he doesn't. He he takes a step of faith. Since the Lord never forgets us, we can take a step of faith. We can take a risk. I'm not saying that you go to a mountaintop and jump off the peak. I'm not saying go to bridge and, God, if you're real, catch me as I jump off. No. Jesus said to Satan that that would be testing God. Don't do that. But rather... When there's an appropriate call of action, when there's an appropriate duty that you need to do according to God's word, sometimes you just have to take a step of faith and say, God, here's what your word says. I'm going to do it. Maybe it's evangelizing in a difficult situation. What do you do? You seek to tell the person about Jesus. You've been in that situation. Probably the worst time is, the hardest time is when a, a relative told me, Tom, really, there's not that much difference, right, between a Buddhist and a Christian, right? There's not that much of a difference. And I don't want to insult the person, you know. Or, Tom, do you think it's bad for me? This is inside the family. Do you think it's wrong for me to go to Mass today? (laughs) I don't want to start a fight. So you say a quick prayer and then take a step of faith and gently speak the truth. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's... You need to open up your house. Even when it's not going well with you, maybe you need to open up your house. Say, hey, I have an extra room. If somebody needs to stay there, they can stay there. Even during difficult circumstances, Joseph takes a risk. We can take risk of faith according to his word. And this flows out of having a big view of God. Further, And all of these are flowing out from one another. Number four, you can see these in your notes. This takes initiating actions. That is to to pursue faithfulness. So God is a God that will never forget. He won't forget that he's made a commitment to you. What do we do? We Then we should be faithful. What does that look like? What does that mean? We trust his word. We bank on his word. 
You can see also, if you remember, we show compassion. That means you have to place yourself at risk because sometimes you love somebody and what do they show you back? Sometimes they, they hate you back. Sometimes they, they don't show love back. But it's not our duty to be loved. It's our duty to love. And then also, fourthly, it takes, sorry, it takes initiating actions. And we see this again in verses 14 and 15. And what I mean by this is in this passage, we see that God is sovereign. But if you look at verses 14 to 15, Joseph is not, because I'm reformed and because I believe that God is completely sovereign over every molecule, both of past, present, and future, everything is completely written out and ordained by him. I'm just going to pray, and I'm not going to say one word to the chief baker or the chief cupbearer, because I really believe in the sovereignty of God, really strongly. Therefore, I don't want to manipulate anything. I'm not going to say anything. Let God do it. Is that what Joseph does? That's now what Joseph does. Rather, Joseph is more of, I know the general plan of God based upon that and the fact that God is sovereign and that he's been good to me. Based upon that, chief cupbearer, please remember to do this. He initiates, he takes action. So we must never pit man's responsibility, mankind's, the believer's role of responsibility and oppose that to God's sovereignty. There are actions that we must do. This is the James 4. If God so wills, then I'm going to plan to do this. Because God is sovereign, I I should make a plan. It's not because God is sovereign, I'm not going to have any plans or purposes. No, because God is sovereign, I'm going to plan. Because there is a Holy Spirit, I'm going to plan and pray even harder. And submit it all to God, but I'm going to try to do something, play, let's say play, pray, plan, prepare, and then do. This is what Joseph does. Usually, not, not always, but often, maybe we can say, the most aggressive, uh, life-risking missionaries were often who? Men and women that believed in the sovereignty of God. The Moravians. You know, John Patton, Arnam Judson, David Brainerd, right? Again, what I'm saying is that this text is saying that God is sovereign. Joseph understood that. But then Joseph, we assume he's praying, but he doesn't just pray. He also speaks. He also takes action. He also does something. So in your own life now, you have to say, God is sovereign, but what does God want me to do that I need to do? For example, if you're a young man and you want to get married, eventually you have to talk to a girl and ask the girl out or for coffee and say, eventually, would you marry me? That is normally, normally how you get married. If you want a job, you have to what? Normally, you have to apply for the job. Normally. If you want to go to college, you have to apply to that college. Normally. 
So we have to be faithful. Since God doesn't forget, doesn't mean that we're just, thank you, God, you, you don't forget me. I'm just going to stand right here and pray. No, we, we pray, we plan, we prepare, and then we do. And then number five, pursuing this faithfulness. And we know this, but let me remind us, this involves understanding all humans will eventually, to some degree, forget. And we see this when this passage ends. The cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And it seems the text is emphasizing, or at least pointing out, that it's not that the cupbearer forgot that Joseph said that. The text doesn't say, and the cupbearer forgot that Joseph, that Joseph said, please talk to Pharaoh about me. Rather, the text, the text says that the cupbearer forgot not just the words of Joseph, but who? He forgot Joseph himself. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Or it's happened to me. Maybe I'm the most forgetful person in the world, but I've had people from Grace Church, from India, I think from here, come up to me and start talking to me. No, I know all of you and I love all of you. But I have had people come up to me in the past and talking to me, and in my head I'm thinking what? I have no idea who this person is right now, but they know me pretty well. <laughs> Has that happened to you? Maybe it happens once you get over 50. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is... People will forget you. They will. Though we don't want that to happen, that will happen. But God will never forget you. Ever. Point is, don't get hurt. If I don't remember you, don't get hurt. I'm who am I? You know. Truly, I am I'm a nobody. Except to my wife. I'm basically a, a nobody. Okay, But God, he's the king. Jesus is the king of the whole universe. And he says, I will never forget you. And I've even, in a sense, ascribed you in the palm of my hands. And I've loved you so much, I was crucified for you. That's amazing. He will never, ever forget you. Is there anything that God will forget? Anything ever? There's one thing. There is one thing. Our sin. God will never, ever forget you. But there is one thing that God will forget. And that is your sin. My sin. It's quite amazing and remarkable that God, throughout his word, says he will never forget you, ever. He will never forget that he loves you and that he's for you. But he will forget your sin. Sometimes I get concerned. I'm a great sinner. And I don't want to get to heaven and the Lord say, you're saved by grace, I've kept you by grace. But you and I, we got to have a chat. That still scares me at times. I'm a great sinner. And my only hope is that perfect righteousness of Christ is laid to my account and that God remembers my sin no more. That's my only hope. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgression for my own sake 
and I will remember, and I will not remember your sins. God is saying, for my glory, for the exhortation of how glorious my grace and love and mercy is based upon me, I'm going to forget about your sin. God will never forget you, believer, ever, ever, ever. He will forget your sins. The Bible says that if you trust Jesus and you turn from sin and you ask Jesus Christ, your Lord, please save me, forgive me. You rose from the dead. I call upon your name. Forgive me and make me a new person, Lord. That he'll take your sin and place it behind his back. Past, present, and future, he says he will remember your sins no more. That's, that's the gospel. We can be faithful because God will not forget us. There is only one thing God will forget about you. In Christ, he will forget your sin. And so when you see Jesus, according to the word, I don't think that he will bring up your sin. God says he will remember your sin no more. Isn't that amazing? Today rejoice and praise him and give him glory and seek to be faithful because he says he will remember your sin no more. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you praise. We do give you glory. We do give you thankfulness from our hearts. Lord, we we are sinful. And our only hope is that perfect life of death, that substitute of Christ on the cross for our own sin, your resurrection, Lord. We, we thank you for that and that you're committed to always remember us, Lord. Lord, I, I do forget things and I can't forget names. I even, I forgot that nurse. But Lord, you never forget us. Ever. And we thank you that though you are king, though you're the most important person in the whole universe, you never forget little old me or anybody in this congregation. We thank you for such love, Lord, and we bless you for Christ's sake. Amen.